You're listening to The Running Public. From marathoners to mud runners, we all have the same goal. Get to the finish line faster. That's right. This podcast is for you guys, The Running Public. This is The Running Public's Training Tuesday. Training Tuesday is where we talk about training only. One topic, we dive deep, we explore it completely. It's training, it's Tuesday. Training Tuesday. Tuesday, Tuesday, Tuesday. Bracken, I, I feel like you have re-entered puberty over there. <laughs> <laughs> What's uh, going on? This right here is 72 hours of I don't think I showered and just layer after layer of bug spray, sunscreen, and sweat. That's what that is. Re- resulting in... I broke out, it looks at. like, doesn't it? Yeah, let's see, yeah. one, two, three... And I shaved. So now there's no hair on my head, no hair on my face. So all you can see are these three massive volcanoes erupting out of my face. I'd say that's a little dramatic, but... That's what it feels like when you don't get acne very often because you're a 35-year-old man. (laughs) 34. You don't have uh, that young uh, pubescent testosterone running through your bloodstream, Bracken, causing all that acne? I've got all the testosterone you could ask for, Kirk, but... (laughs) I, uh-huh. I don't break out too often, but when I, if I'm sweating a lot and wearing a lot of sunscreen, you mix a little bug spray in there. And then now you're, you're off in the woods camping and you're not showering consistently. That's, that's a recipe for something happening. Yeah. Well, good thing this podcast is just audio, huh? Yeah. We'd, we'd lose a lot of our viewership <laughs> this week. I'm also not wearing pants. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's true. Bracken um, hit his shin on a trailer hitch this weekend got a big lump and he wanted to show me well obviously at that point he had to lift his leg up onto the uh, desk and i realized then that you were not wearing pants today no (laughs) we're getting close i was outside getting some stuff done and i was sweating and i came in here and too hot for pants so what are you wearing down there i got i got some little boxer briefs on a little boxer briefs all right cute little blue number that's how we know we're comfortable with each other that's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'm being a little dramatic with your acne. It's not that bad, but I've never seen that such like a, you have like such a clean face. You Ooh. don't typically sport facial hair and top of your head has no hair. So any little imperfection just stands out where I could hide all that under my beard. It'd be no big deal. And you know, I had probably five days, six days, which for me is a lot of facial hair growth until last night. I like getting home from camping and just like purifying my, my body and soul. Just shave it. Uh-huh. Can you grow a beard? I, re- I don't think I can grow a beard. Okay. I can't do what you've got going on there. I can, I can grow facial hair, but it's, I, don't, I think a beard would be a stretch. But I usually just buzz it. I almost never fully shave. But after, after this camping trip, it's just so hot and sweaty, I decided I've got I've to scrub it raw. I like it. I will say this has been a big week for me. I don't know if you noticed last week when we were recording, but uh, my... My uh, hair is long enough to put in a man bun now, Bracken. I know. He had a ponytail last week. This has my, been my curiosity to growing out my hair, which I'm sure every woman listening to this is rolling their eyes because a man bun is never a good idea. And I understand that. I'm not trying to look my best here. I'm trying to feel my best. And there's a difference, all right? Anyways, it's man bun length. And so I've been able to man bun it. And that's been the goal all along. I haven't cut my hair in like, what has it been, 18 months? Just so I can... Try this. It's a big just day. Just to put up a ponytail. 
just to see what it looks like. Like once in my life, I have to check that box. I once in my life had my hair long enough. I could pull it back. Well, there's one, there's one thing between pulling it back and then I'm learning this. And then there's another thing between pulling it back and having all of your hair instead of what they call flyers, which are these little sprigs of hair that aren't long enough yet. So you got to get them all. Can't have your flyaways in there. No flyaways. Yep. Now I have daughters who are particular about how their hair gets done. Okay. Does daddy do the daughter's hair once in a while? I, whenever they, whenever they want it. Yeah. Lisa's the master braider, but I can, I can, okay. I can ponytail about anything. All right. Well, I'll give you that opportunity on me next time. I see In fact, you. actually, after uh, after a race one time that Kent and I stayed together, he was he was struggling and he kind of looked at me. He's like, you have daughters? I said, yeah, I can do that. He said, that's not weird for you. He's standing there <laughs> and he's fresh out the shower. So I, and you put his hair up for him? I, I put his hair up for him. He has Ryan Kent has some thick hair. Mm-hmm. That you you could pay for the secret of his luxuriant fullness. All right. Well, I will. I will wait and dream of the day, but you, you get run your, hands your fingers on my hair. through his hair. <laughs> uh, no, you run your fingers through my hair bracket. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what, that's that's what I want. Yeah. Um, topic today was your idea. Yeah, I have found myself throughout the last couple of years of home ownership, googling what do I need to know about blank or what is the basic process for blank, and on whether it's. WikiHow or Reddit or YouTube, there's like the the idiot's guide to whatever you need to do, like the the, the crib sheet, the check check marks, check boxes, everything you need to know to make sure you're doing a process correctly. And we haven't had that yet in the running public. We've had threshold episodes, speed work, we've had long run, we've had lifting, we've had talking about our training plan, but we haven't just said, listen, here's everything every runner needs to be doing at all times. In one 45, 55-minute episode, here's everything you need to know about what you need to have in your training plan. Mm-hmm. And I think it's it's kind of like a, a this might be an episode that you'll want to refer back to, I would say, today. In the beginning, we did a training or running terminology episode. We refer back to that one. This one's going to be like, we're going to list out the boxes that you need to check at all times, at least to get like all the puzzle pieces uh, and a part of your training put together. So that's kind of today's uh, today's snapshot, and I think we should break it down. I don't know how you want to break it down, Bracken, because we haven't fully discussed this, but something like we have the run component, we have the strength component, we have the recovery mobility component. Maybe we can deal with nutrition. How do you want to do this? What do you think? Yeah, yeah, I think actual running, strength training, um, the supplemental component, nutrition, all of it, but just like the, the few bullet points in every column. We're not going to tell you how to do it all. But these are the ingredients you have to have present as a runner. And we don't care whether you are a track, road, cross, trail, mountain, OCR, marathon. It doesn't matter. These are the general principles that are going to guide every runner. Yeah. So let's start. Let's start with the non-flashy stuff. Let's work it. Let's make them wait for it. Let's just wet their appetite a little bit. Let's start with like the stuff that we as runners put off and dread and don't make as much time for it. Let's talk about like the mobility recovery. Let's start with that. Let's work our way to running. You cool with that? I am. Okay. What do you, uh, what do you think that people need to be doing for mobility and recovery? Um, like what would be the boxes that need to be checked? 
I have two that I think every runner needs to be doing at all times. And it's because most runners I see or talk to or deal with are very weak and lacking in this area. And that would be ankle and hip strength and mobility. Okay. Continue. (laughs) Because if you watch people's strides, a lot of times people say, I wish I could run like this person or they run, their knees come up so high or their feet kick up so high and back, but structurally I don't have that. So what's my best version of that? In fact, we received a message on Instagram this week from someone saying, Hey, I saw these two people run on the most recent video recap of a race I watched. And this person has high knees and this person has a high back kick. Which one should I be emulating? I don't feel like I look like either. Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is both obviously. You want good knee drive, you want your legs cycling back behind you and up underneath your butt. But most of us look at it and say, but I'm not structurally able to do that. And to some extent that's true, but I think a lot of us fail before we even get started because our feet and ankles aren't capable of landing in the proper position and flexing and pushing off the ground in a way that's stable enough to even have a great stride. I think we break down before we even get to the running stride at our ankles. Okay. So what are the things that, so you think that's one box that every runner should check? Yes. Ankle strength and mobility. And what do you do for that in your, in your mind? Well, again, I don't want to get too far into the, the, the nuts and bolts of this because this could be a five hour episode if we do that. But I think that band work on your ankles is mandatory. And then some sort of uh, extension work where you're doing calf raises and your thing, but it's less about for your calf at that point, more about for that whole ankle joint and your feet and making sure that, I mean, if it was bicycling, they talk about your ground contact points, anything that touches the bike or touches the ground are the most important pieces of your bike. So you're talking mm-hmm. seat, handlebars, shoes, pedals, and tires. Well, these are our shoes and tires right here, our feet and ankles. And that's the like the point where we contact the ground has to be rock solid. So band work and some sort of um, strengthening aspect to it as well, I think is mandatory. And there are millions of great videos to watch. I don't want to give specifics. I want to target ankle. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think that just correlating it to well, your, your one contact point with the ground is clearly going to be one of the most, if not the most important part of your biomechanics. So I agree with that <laughs> for sure. I would say um, checking the boxes for me, mobility recovery. Uh, <clears throat> if you take the time, you know, static stretching and range of motion stuff uh, can be a little overrated at times, but I do think it has its place in uh, keeping, you know, mobility going. And so I think that every runner, I know most of us push off our stretching. You and I aren't the best at this at all times, I believe. But twice a week, commit to twice a week after your quality days or your long run. Let's say you do a quality day on Tuesday, you do a long run on Saturday or a quality long run on Saturday. Twice a week, take 20 minutes after your hard efforts where you've accrued some damage and go through your full mobility even if it's static stretching, really thorough. The big mistake there is most people think you got to stretch before you go do something, but that's the time that you're least warm and your muscles are like the least elastic. So afterwards is always the best. That's why we do a warm up, Then we do some plyos and dynamics and then get into like a workout because we don't want to stretch until our body's warm. So anyways, um, after your workout, twice a week, that's the one thing I think everybody should be doing and really stretch. Like active stretching means like you're working a sweat back up after your run is finished. So that's the one thing that I think is super important to keep in. Yes, more than twice a week would be great, but even if you give me two sessions that mean something, 
that's going to go a long ways. So that would be the one thing I, I would preach. I like that. I definitely yeah. don't do that enough. And I'm going to drive home the hips. Uh, and I have my blinders on because hips have controlled my body a lot, but the hips control mm -hmm. most athletes' bodies. And if you struggle with hamstring, glute, lower back issues, there's a good chance that working through your hip girdle, to use that phrase again, working through that area can solve a lot of that. And so I am, if I'm doing my, I call it like my, my pigeon routine, like every variation of pigeon pose and pigeon stretch. Mm -hmm where you're leaning over your, you're on the ground and you're leaning over your knee, over your hip, working in different directions, bending your knee in front of you, pulling it up behind, straighten it behind, every different variation of that. If I can go through all of those without hitches and without hangups anywhere, I'm generally in a very healthy place with my body and my running. Mm -hmm. It's when I start to break down that I find those little sticking points and I realize, oh, I'm really tight here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't know how much... Um, how much more I have to add to the mobility piece um, other than that? Just like what I, I think we're trying to give you is like, if we're going to give you like, at least if you're doing this, not bare minimum, because that has like a ne negative connotation, but kind of like the bare minimum, like what you can, you check those boxes, then you're, you're setting yourself up for success, even at a maintenance level. So do you have anything on the recovery piece that everybody should be doing? No, because I think it's, I think that alone, if you're cooling down and getting that stuff in, that's, that's enough for most people. Okay. I would just add in to that on the recovery piece that fully resting or taking days off, yes, does count as recovery, but I would argue that moving your body is better recovery than sitting on the couch all day and calling that recovery. So on the recovery piece, like that just doesn't mean doing nothing. Recovery means like moving your body, getting your heart rate up in an aerobic sense. Uh, it doesn't even need to be run specific, but it means moving your body. So between hard efforts, you're just recovering. Like in recovery doesn't mean rest. It means active, active recovery. Correct. So that's the only other piece I would add in there. I like it. So our bullet points, ankles, hips, yep. an active stretching session after big efforts, and then active recovery. Yep. I'm happy with that. If you're doing those four, you're on the right path, path as an athlete and as, a, and as an endurance athlete. Yep. Yep. And, and from just like an injury standpoint, from an efficiency standpoint, um, biomechanical efficiency, all that, like these things are pretty important. Like these could be the mm -hmm. most important things. You know what I mean? So um, don't overlook them, but set aside twice a week. Basically that's what we're asking twice a week. Yeah. That's not too much to ask. Um, all right. Should we move on to strength? Yeah. And I want to start there with the, the parts people skip usually before we move into the big power movers. Mm -hmm. And I just want to drive home. Like the core is a buzzword. So let's say trunk, <laughs> your core, your trunk, the, for everything from your pelvis up to, I would say your, your collarbone, front, side, and back really is responsible. I would say from your xiphoid process. But that's xiphoid just, process. And that's what I would say, but what do I know? Okay. I, I can let that go. Okay. As long as we're not talking like the sternocleidal mastoid here or something like that. Listen, let's not get weird. All right. If your ankles are your ground contact point, the frame of your bike is from your hip up to your collarbone. This is the controller of stability in your body. Everything you build strength-wise and speed-wise is controlled by the center of your body. And if you leak energy anywhere out through there, you compromise your ability to truly be great and you compromise your endurance. 
if you take a look at any great runner, when they get done with the race, they lift their shirt up to like wipe some sweat off their face. And they're all like, almost look like barrel chested because they're mm-hmm. so emaciated in their arms and legs that the fact that they have a ripped six pack and riblets and their back mm-hmm. and, and everything shredded through there, it almost makes them look like they have a barrel chest because it's the only place on their body that they carry any weight. And this is not an episode talking about you need to be emaciated. This is talking about if even the runners who need to look emaciated to be the very fastest people in the universe are willing to put on a little extra muscle through their midsection, imagine what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. Because these are 110-pound men running these races. You know, so, so thin and frail. But they look like 160-pound men through their midsection. And that's the big takeaway, that you cannot support your speed without an incredibly strong trunk. I agree with that. Trunk, I would say, xiphoid process down to that crease at the bottom of your butt cheek. Mm, and yeah. Right there. Cut them off at the hips, right where that butt cheek creases, and then all the way up to, like, yeah, your um, your diaphragm, we'll call it maybe. But yeah, so that that whole area, and if and you don't notice this because those like elite level runners, they run in singlets, so you see their skinny arms and their skinny ripped legs, but it kind of hides like the money maker and all of those guys. If we're just talking, even from a pure running standpoint, and we're not even talking OCR, then it gets into even more applicable. We're just talking mm-hmm. from a pure running standpoint. You know, these guys are doing; they're not getting under barbells much, if any. They might do some dumbbell work, but they are spending time on their core and their trunk, and their hip girdle, probably three to five times a week, these guys are doing stuff, because that's kind of your stability, that keeps your composure, that helps, and again, that biomechanical efficiency, keeping the core tight, upright, and engaged, is the centerpiece to even leg drive, and follow through, it all starts there, in my opinion, so um, I agree with you, 100%, I'm glad you brought that up, because I went to started with that. I'd like to start there, and I'm, I'm a hypocrite for that, because I go in waves with core. Hey, do you remember? Do you remember when I was supposed to make you a core uh, workout plan? <laughs> yep. About a year ago. Still haven't gotten around to that. I'm sorry about that. Brian. Still haven't done core. Just waiting on it. <laughs> it's my fault. <laughs> but but be, I mean, I one of the nice things about having a lot of the races I've run on video is that I can see my stride throughout the years. And I am someone who's a bit of a stiff runner, upper body, and I have some rock back and forth with my stride. And it is always worse. I, I can look and see what my core strength was like during that time by looking at my upper body when I run. Because the less strong and bulletproof my trunk is, the more my shoulders sway and bend trying to make up for the, the, the forces that my trunk can't control. But when I've been running a lot and doing a lot of core, I have a much smoother roll to my upper body. And as a result, I generally have less energy wasted and other muscle groups don't have to stay engaged and I have better endurance. Mm. All right. Well, we started with that and you said you don't, we don't, we don't want to get too far into the weeds with specifics here. So let's just <laughs> leave them. Let's just let them wonder what they should be doing, but just know that you need to be doing stuff. Is that how we're leaving this? I mean, we can give a few if we think they're non-negotiables. Because I, I, I think there are there's probably more confusion about good core routine than anything else out there mm-hmm. because you can look up powerlifting online and you can probably take a good powerlifting program mm-hmm. and apply it to distance runners and it's going to help them a five yeah, by five yeah. is going to help a distance runner but bodybuilding or power lifting or body sculpting it's all different for what people do for core so maybe we should give mm-hmm. a few specifics well okay we should i'll get i'll rattle off a few um 
first of all, if I had to come up with like a list of 10, right? Some are going to be traditional and some are not. I also think engaging the hip flexor and core movement is important. You know, some people end up being like, oh, my hip flexors are giving out on me before my core. That's okay because your hip flexors are super involved with knee drive and the run motion anyway. So it doesn't bother me. So I actually like to pick movements that stress the hip flexors equally as the abs. So um, a weighted leg raise, put five to 15 pound dumbbell between your feet, get up on a bench, get elevated, keep the legs out straight and then really raise them. Uh, Weighted leg raises are fantastic. Um, You can't beat a traditional sit-up bench with a like a leg leverage where you stick your legs through the pads and you got good leverage and put a weight, leave it across your clavicle and then do a weighted sit-up that way. It's a power movement and it also works the hip flexors. Um, toes to bar or hanging knee tucks without question. And then the other piece, uh, one of my favorite movements is then you got to think about the hips. And so it would be, I really like a side plank hold with a, like a Jane Fonda leg raise because that puts a ton of pressure on that plant hip. So I'll go through side plank holds with like the Jane Fonda leg raise on both sides and then end with glute bridges, single leg, drive the heel through the ground, pick the toe up towards the ceiling. It's going to engage your rear chain more than your uh, quads hammer those single-legged glute bridges. That would be, I just gave you five things there. And I think those five would be really good to add to your arsenal twice a week. I love it. Yeah. I think that's enough. When you think about the core, it has to do two major things with your running. The first, it has to be your your shock absorption system. Every time you hit the ground, it, it's the thing that's keeping your whole skeletal system then this is broad strokes, but from taking a drastic impact every single time, the stronger it is, the less that you have to absorb in other places and especially Mm -hmm. downhill running core is so important and then running fast. And then the second thing is it has to be able to engage and help your knee drive up because if it can't do that, that's all on your lower body. And that is a, that is a impossible task to be able to do for a long period of time. So it has to be able to pull upwards and it has to be able to resist impact down. And between those two types of exercises, you have both ends of the spectrum covered. Yeah, I think that would be, I mean, there's plenty of other, you know, ancillary things you could add, but uh, let's go to like then the strength as people are thinking of it and knowing it. Um, here, here, I guess, well, first thing, like we talked about your mobility and recovery and putting time in, like give us twice a week, give your, you owe yourself twice a week to do that. I'm going to say the same thing applies to strength. I believe that you can get away with two pertinent sessions a week um, and actually build. Three is great if you have if you can add it in, um, but I'm actually happy with two. If, if we're trying to put all the puzzle pieces, we're trying to say here's our bare minimum, so to speak, for us to still progress and see gains and be feeling like we're doing everything right, I think a simple push and pull day, one day push, one day pull, and both include upper and lower body movements. That's what I think is the best bang for your buck if you're trying to divide time. Um, that's like, I guess, my general philosophy on it. What about you? Yeah, I, d- I don't think that a runner needs to lift more than twice per week if they don't want to. It's that twice is enough to drive change, to drive yep. stimulus in your body. And that, that that's, that's good. Well, we're not talking like, I'm not talking about going in there and texting and taking four minutes rest on everything and not doing work. I'm talking about like, I'm talking about like going and getting like a real solid, like body shocking strength workout in something that's difficult. Like this isn't like a, a walk in the park. We're really focused strength sessions. So I just want to make that clear. It's going to be a big one when you do show up to the gym, but it might take you an hour and a half potentially, but that's what I think it takes. 
Yeah. When you think about what running really is, it's pushing and pulling alternatively. Just going back and forth with pushing and pulling. And so the concept behind strength training is to make it so that doing it at a less capacity than your maximum effort is easier. And so you raise your max capacity. And so you have to be able to push and pull with your legs and to some extent with your upper body. Again, I don't think runners need to look like meatheads. But I think that having a bit of meathead training in there is going to be helpful. So you have to be able to push your body off the ground. And so you have deadlift and you have squat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and just think about this too. Like running is so catabolic means it only breaks the body down. It breaks us down, breaks us down. And with how much we do as endurance athletes, how much catabolic work, like you have to offset it with the anabolic work, which is strength training. You have to, to keep a healthy metabolism. To keep your hormone production high, keep that testosterone up, keep some of those other hormones going. Um, you the the stimulus it just does to the nervous system. Like the strength work is so important to rounding it all out. So like just making sure like that is known because we need to offset all the catabolic work we do, um, especially if we have long seasons and you want to perform well from start to finish. Um, it's just super important, even for those reasons alone, twice a week would get the job done. And what you're going to with like deadlift squat, things like that, like the heavier, the stimulus, the more hormone inducing it's going to, it's going to cause. And, you know, obviously the the heavy stuff is going to be good on the strength, like the raw power front too. So like, there's a lot of reasons to do it is what I'm getting at. Yeah. You know, I talked about this briefly once, but I'm going to be more direct with it. Now I do a lot of research on how to train endurance athletes because I'm fascinated by the, how many different ways there are out there. But one of my tried and true methods is I look to the cheaters. I look to the people who have been caught doping and I look at their training. I look at the doctors and the coaches who have been caught systemically providing chemical assistance to athletes. And I look at what they're doing because they can do whatever they want because they they have millions of dollars behind them and they have athletes who aren't going to break down the same way and can handle crazy workloads. So I look at their principles and then I try to apply those to like a normal person who's not going to be cheating, but they obsess over testosterone, human growth hormone, and, mm-hmm. and catabolic and anabolic balances. Correct. And if they're willing to do all those things chemically, we should be willing to do the things that naturally release that human growth hormone and testosterone. And lifting is a fantastic way to increase production. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's just like such an overlooked thing that, I don't know. I mean, some people are in the, in the know on that, but aside from what it does to your muscles, what it does, whatever causes that sort of stimulus in your body is what I think is probably more important than anything. And that, as much as you think like strength is more work and it's breaking you down more, in a weird way, it's actually helping you recover faster for your running to come up. It's actually going to speed up that cycle. Granted, if you have some doms in your legs or something like that, that might be a different story, but it's actually pro recovery because of the hormone production. Yes. It's funny to the layman, we think, what can we possibly do to get faster? And to that, that peak of the pyramid, the people at the very top, they're thinking, what can we do to avoid breaking down? It's two very different mindsets because running, a a normal person would look like I go and run and I'm improving my health and wellness, but endurance work inherently breaks you down. Not necessarily at first and not drastically, but it is 
reductive to your overall health in some capacity. And so the top end minds and scientists are always like, what can we do to avoid that breakdown? And they do it with drugs because it's a constant battle of how much can we give them training wise? And then what can we balance it with? Because there's negative effects to training. We don't do that. We don't have desire to do that. And most people shouldn't want to, but you are not necessarily giving yourself like holistic wellness by going for runs every day. Correct. It needs to be balanced out with actually beneficial chemicals released into your body. If you give a shit about longevity mm-hmm. in this sport uh, or being able to do this once you're older, cause you know, this sport only breaks you down. I agree. It's actually not the healthiest sport to be in, especially as a, as you age 60s, 70s, you're going to be the guy or girl limping around a little bit, hobbled up and unable to do what you love. But there's a way to slow that down, and that is definitely to stay foundationally strong. So even if you're in your 30s, you don't think it's that important, you're wrong. I'm telling you you're wrong. Yeah. You'll be very glad later in life that yeah, you did. I, I don't want to harp too much on negative bodies and body types and body imagery. Yeah. However, there are certainly two types of aging runners. There's the coach we all knew or that guy in town or a woman in town that we all knew growing up who they still run everywhere and they're in their 70s and but they've got that like, it's the term is thrown around. It's not my term, but I'm going to say it. Skinny fat. Mm-hmm. And that's always thrown around the running community. Oh, that guy's skinny fat. And what that means is that their arms are lean, their legs are lean, and they've got that paunch in their stomach and their chest is kind of soft and their back is is loose. Like it's, I'm not harping on that, but I want to talk about what running does to your body. And that is that it's not holistic. It does not address your muscular system in your in your trunk very well, and it doesn't release those great uh, bouts of testosterone afterwards. It just lowers mm-hmm. testosterone. And so the other body type that you see is the person who, for some reason, early in their life, glamped on to weight training. And they're that 60, 70-year-old person who runs around and still has good posture and has like a tree trunk core. And everyone's like, man, that person's an animal. And the only difference between those two They probably ran the same amount of lifetime mileage, but one of them did strength work. Whereas the aging runner who doesn't do strength work, they kind of round and hunch over and they don't Mm -hmm. have good posture anymore. And their, their stride is all weird and asymmetrical and they run because their body has just kind of withered over the years. And this is why strength training is important. If what you do is good for you, it doesn't leave you worse for the wear down the road. Yeah. You know, I, I, what I, something I like to use, not as an analogy, but just as like a point of emphasis is if like the Olympic Games were recently and, you know, the all sorts of events from the 100 to all the way up to a 10K or the marathon. So you got, you know, a wide range. And you look at the body types and how people look, right? And you take a look at the 100 meter, the 200 meter, the 400 meter runners, and they're jacked out of their damn minds, lean, cut, muscular, aesthetically look good. And then you look at the distance runners and some of the best, and even some of the best in the world are kind of all over the board. I mean, some look lean and ripped, but some look a little soft, but they got the right body type and they're all over the map. But I would argue that all of the sprinters or most of them are significantly or at least as lean as the distance runners. The sprinters are maybe doing what, a 20th of the weekly volume as far as mileage in quotes go, then why are they so lean? They're not expending anything. They're not barely expending anything compared to the distance runners who are putting in 120 mile weeks. The sprinter's putting in five mile weeks. How is he ripped? Well, he's ripped because of intensity and foundational strength work and testosterone and human growth hormone production because of the type of training he does. 
he's spending less output than those distance runners yet looks more jacked. And it's just like, if you can balance that out and add some of what that sprinter does in a sense into your distance runner weekly routine, you'll be so much better off coming up. And I don't know if that point's going to fall on deaf ears or not, but like it definitely is notable. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with volume of running. It has everything to do with the other stuff, the strength, the hormone production, all of that. So I wanted to get that point across. Yeah. The old timers will say, "You, we didn't strength train. You don't need to do it. And the new timers would say, and we broke all your records. What did Michael Phelps do before he came back to the uh, his second or third Olympics? Remember that? Found a strength training program. He's like, I'm finally going to do this. What happened? Went back and rebroke all his records. Yeah. Yeah, from a performance standpoint, you will be better if you lift because you can do so without gaining much muscle. It's not going to slow you down. And from a long-term health performance and just quality of life standpoint, you will be better if you lift. But it doesn't have to be crazy, and it doesn't have to be more than twice a week. Yep. Um, so should we just real quick just give another minute or two? To put, I believe in the push-pull days if you're going to do <laughs> two. Um, and pull could mean anything from I consider the deadlift a pull Romanian deadlifts, if we're looking, you know, lower body, you could even do some banded hamstring work. Um, and then any of the upper body stuff, you got your pull-ups, your bent over barbell rows, upright rows, any type of curl movement if you want to work on some of that finite stuff. But that's what I thought I'd lump in there. What about you? Yeah, that's that's <clears throat> that's it. I, I Again, I always talk about Bulgarian split squat, but I'm a big believer. But that's probably the only thing I would add to that. I throw that on my push day. Oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Okay, sorry. I thought we were lumping everything together. Oh, that was just like a pull day example. Okay, yeah. And I have less emphasis on an upper body pull day for a standard distance runner. Just enough to be holistically well, but not 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 going out there and trying to like jack up your biceps and, you're, and you know, doing endless pec flies because if you want to, go do it. But I, this is what must be done. And I don't think those must be done. Yeah, I agree. And, I, and I'm a little, you know, OCR biased. So... Like yes. something like like bicep curls are such a damn waste of time. However, when you start doing OCR and you talk about lock offs and things, I'm like, dang, there might be a place for bicep curls and OCR training, which is kind of hard for me to swallow. But um, and then on the push, uh, the push day, I would do, you know, you got your barbell squats, Bulgarian split squats, like you said, anything that uh, might round you out. I like dumbbell push press overhead or you could do your you know beach muscles bench or something like that. But um, walking lunges, you can't beat. I consider all those push motions. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else I'm missing there? No, not really. I, I actually like overhead press more than bench press for runners because mm-hmm. we traditionally are hunched and rounded up above our chest and we generally have back problems and bench can absolutely help that. But I, I like that a deadlift paired with an overhead press. I feel like that rounds out your back from a health standpoint really well. Yeah, I can get on board with that. And 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 I really like some sort of you talked about it, but bent over rowing for for runners. That doesn't mean a rowing machine. It means dumbbell or barbell or kettlebell, taking it, bending over and pulling your shoulder blades back. Because just like cyclists, but not as bad, our posture hunches and curls as we age and as we keep running. And that mm-hmm. really helps keep the chest open, which is always going to be better for a runner, but also keeps your posture good. Yep. I agree with that hundred percent. I mean, the bent over heavy barbell row, it engages everything from literally the, like the base of your skull all the way down to your Achilles attachment in your heel. Everything is firing that's facing behind you. 
your erector spine A all the way down through glutes, hamstrings, calves, everything. One of the best movements. That's why deadlifts are so great too. Do you know that that's my single favorite upper body exercise? Bent over barbell row? Yep. Yeah. Hunter turned me on to that a few years ago and instantly I fell in love. Like where has this been my whole life? I love it. I love pairing that with uh, hit like 10 heavy bent over barbell rows and then go up and, and hit pull-ups to failure. Then give yourself Ooh. a good rest, a little superset like that one or vice versa, 10 pull-ups into bent over rows. It's good. Um, okay, so let's, let's uh, recap for you. So right now our belief is twice a week, some sort of mobility recovery focus. If you give us that, you're checking those boxes. Then we go to strength twice a week. We're looking to do our strength work. Um, we talked about core and hip stability, and then we talked about like push pull, however that works. So basically that's it. You got four boxes to check each week right now, as far as I'm concerned. Yes. Am I missing anything? No. I mean, sure, but no, I think we got the big stuff. <laughs> okay. So should we move to running? Let's move to running. You've waited 35 minutes. Let's get to running. All right. Where do you want to start Bracken? Let's start with, uh, I don't really think it's an elephant in the room, but it's the most talked about portion of running. And so volume, you must have volume in your schedule to be progressing as an endurance athlete. And that doesn't necessarily mean all run volume, Nope. but it means volume. You know, what's interesting is I was looking, feeling bad about my running because I've been running in the twenties, maybe thirties miles a week. And this last week or two have been weird with my health stuff. But then I went and I logged in online or on, on my computer instead of my phone into Strava, I had to manually add a, a workout. And it gives you this nice combo uh, reading, like how many, how many hours between actually cardio modalities are you doing? Because I always consider myself a low-volume athlete. Then I was looking, and I'm doing like nine hours of cardio a week, which isn't the highest, but it does speak to why maybe I can still perform on low run volume when I'm putting nine hours of elevated heart rate in a week. So I just, mm-hmm. speaking to that personally, even though all mine isn't coming from running, I was really shocked. I was like, I didn't even add this up, how much time I'm actually putting in the saddle or on my feet. And so I can speak to that from both a running and then running and cross-training sense. And that's the beautiful summation of it right there. You are running 20 to 30 miles a week, which outside of a real novice new runner, almost every runner on the planet would say, that is not much mileage. Maybe it's enough for most people on the planet, but they'd all agree that that's not high mileage. But nine hours of aerobic work or cardiovascular work a week, you take a full day off. That's 90 minutes, six days a week. That's your average. Correct. Yeah, I take a day off. So that's 90 minute average per day. That suddenly puts you up there with a quote unquote high volume athlete. Mm Mm-hmm. And that's what we're talking about. You need volume. And people say, what's the right amount of volume for me? And my answer always is as much volume as your body and life can handle without any single negative drawback. Yeah. And that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. And then it grows to fit that. If at the beginning you can get five hours of cardio work per week and your body can handle that with no repercussions and your life can handle that, that's where you start. And as you can handle more, you take more. And that's it. Your upper limit is always no issues. As soon as you run into issues, then you back down a little bit. And that's as Mm. simple as volume needs to be or as complex as it needs to be. I don't know about you, but the the longer I've been doing this, the more and more I go. And maybe it's because we have the OCR 
um, emphasis or because we're chasing vert a lot of days, which doesn't equate to high miles, although it equates to high time on feet. I've gone exclusively to looking at my time on feet or my, versus mileage now. Just I feel like that's just a true indicator of workload more than mileage because you can have a 30-mile week that is five hours on feet. You can have a 30-mile week that's three hours on feet, depending on you know, that's very different. Yeah. So I, I don't know about you if you've adopted that philosophy at all, but I, I pretty much exclusively now look at total time. Yeah, I, I when I'm scheduling my volume, it's time-based now. Because you're right, as soon as you add vert to the equation, everything's out of whack. And mm-hmm. as soon as you add non-impact cardio, as soon as you add cycling, it's a bit out of whack too. How do you judge those miles? Exactly. My high school coach told me three miles of biking is worth one mile of running. That's what I was told too. That's funny. Same thing. And I just don't buy it. Go by time. Time. Yeah. But even that, like you can get so many more hours on bike than you can on feet. So it becomes its own categories. But yeah, time is the way to go for a lot of people. Saying I must hit 30 miles, that works for a flat runner. It does not work for people who are mixing modalities invert. It worked well for us when we were in college. It serves us very little purpose now in what we're currently pursuing. It's just like reading temperature in Celsius or Fahrenheit. It doesn't change how hot it feels. It's Ah. just which one's more convenient for you. Because hours, mileage, it doesn't change the athlete. It just changes how palatable the information is. Yeah. My foundational belief is that if you really care about your performance, at minimum, you need to be doing five cardio or run sessions per week. At minimum, if you really give a true shit about your performance. And maybe you can't run a lot. Maybe three days are running and two are cross training on the bike or row or elliptical, whatever. I don't care. That's my minimum. Okay, five. You need to commit to five days if you care. Um, and then I would I would just say on top of that, um, then you can go back and forth between six or seven. Um, if your seventh day, you know, is super easy, otherwise an off day, but five for sure. Six is ideal in my, in my opinion, if you can figure out a way to get six in, um, I would start there. So six days, five minimum, six ideal to commit to cardio a week. What do you think? You'll find no arguments from me there. I think five is the golden number. Four is good because it means that you're moving on more days than you aren't moving each week. You're over 50%. That's great. However, five, I think gets you like 90% of the way to your max fitness. I think on five days per week, you can get within sight of what your ceiling is. You'll not hit your ceiling, but you'll get close enough there that most people can be reasonably happy with how much they've done and how well they're performing. Yeah. Six or seven is for the high performers who can also be injury-free. But five, you're right, five's the number that you need to be hitting if you care about your performance. And again, we're going to reiterate for those who missed it the first time, that doesn't mean five runs. It means five cardio days per week. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and from a lot, if you're somebody who struggles a little bit with injury or, or whatever, then, you know, that could be just a, a chosen approach. I'm going to work out five days versus six, just because it's going to be a longevity piece for me. But um, I believe in that. And then I think if we're going to look at our week, we need to look at how it's, um, how it's filled out, right? What are we, what are we putting in those days? And, and if we're in a training block, whether you're base training or you're getting ready for something big or you got races coming up, I think that there should still be what I consider one true quality day in every week. 
in base phase, that might be tempo run where you're just going out running hard for eight miles. Um, but one quality day a week, this is bare minimum, right, to maintain. And then one long run or one mixed quality long run. And then the rest is pretty much recovery in between. So that would just be like, the, I mean, we've talked about this enough on the podcast over episodes, but that'd be how I'd start. Keep it simple. Yeah. What, what about you? That's it. I think you need two days of stimulus. A big and, stimulus. Yep. Of, of more than just an aerobic stimulus. And that can be one big, one medium, two big, one big, one long. Doesn't matter. I think you need two in there. Now, if you don't care about performance as much, but you still just want to get better, you can do what would be considered almost aerobic intervals where you run an anaerobic pace, but you do it for such short duration that it's really just always aerobic. And then it's a pleasant workout. Um, in fact, if you take a look at my Strava last week, you'll see I did 30-30 for an hour. Hmm. I set the incline to uh, 30 and I put it to the miles per hour. I want to be able to hold for an hour when I'm really fit, like six months from now. And I just did 30 on 30 off for an hour. It was not a challenge to work out. What speed did you do there, Bracken? 3.0. 3.0. That's a great, if you can hold 3.0 on a treadmill for an hour, you are uh, you are ready to climb any mountain, in my opinion. And at one point I did 3.0 for an hour. You did. That's incredible. I made it. When I did max vert in 60 minutes, I made it to 30 minutes at 3.0 miles an hour. And then I had to take a, I went five minute hike at two miles an hour to recover and then went back up to three for almost the remainder, but I needed a reset and I was in great climbing shape in my opinion. So that's moving, man. Now that's, there's a caveat to that. I moved down to 20% for just an angle difference, but I kept the... I bumped the intensity up so it was a matching mile per hour. Yeah. And I did that probably 60 seconds down every 19 minutes or something like that. So I did okay. three by 19 minutes with 60 seconds at 20%. Okay. Well, if you if you guys ever want to go hate your life for an hour, go do the max vert in 60 minutes, by the way. Side, this is a little tangent. Yeah. But you're going to find out where your fitness is at once you do that. 15 plus percent. I like to sit right at 30 and just go. It sucks. Yeah. But it's great. So anyways, that's that, that's just a little a little – nugget you can use if you are not wanting to do hate myself workouts do manageable workouts if you're gonna do let's say like kirk today you did five by mile and mm-hmm. what uh, somewhere in the five teens well break that up into 20 by 400 at the same exact pace yeah. and now that's an easy fun pleasant workout but you're still driving some stimulus and you're still not stagnating so they just don't have to be big days. I, I just want to get across the point that the average person doesn't have to be out there flogging themselves twice per week, just doing something out of the ordinary. And I don't want to be, make it seem like we're you need constant variation because you don't. You could do the same two workouts for weeks on end and improve. But something that's just not pure easy aerobic. You know what I think? I think at bare minimum in the back of my head, I think I need to get 20 minutes in this week of something that sucks, meaning like hard, intense intervals. What does that mean? Maybe that means 16 by a quarter mile. Maybe that means four by a mile. Maybe that means a 20, a four, a four mile tempo run. I don't know. But I think 20 minutes of like hard, hard, intense, purposeful work each week where you're actually working. So for example, if you did 30, 30 for an hour, you really got in 30 minutes of quality work. So yep. 60, for example, I say get 20 minutes of stimulus, which you know, it's going to hurt. And if you do that every week, you know, 
we go back to Fred Clary, but like your body should respond to that amount of stimulus. Like that's how the body works. So like just get one, get, accumulate 20 minutes of hard, whatever that means to you, yeah. effort a week. Combine that with a long run and maybe throw some quality in that long run once in a while. And as Bracken Crocker says, you have yourself a stew. Got yourself a stew. Now, yeah. if you do care about your performance, you're about performance, you're about hitting PRs, you're about racing, then I have the short, medium, long rule. And I think all intensity should be done short, medium, and long. Okay. So easy, aerobic, zone one, zone two. You should have some short, easy ones. You should have some medium ones, and you should have some long ones. I don't just run an hour every day. Some recovery days, I run 30 to 40 minutes. Others, I run 60 to 70. And other days, you go out for two hours. But short, medium, long at that. Then you move up to threshold. I think you should have some short threshold runs. You should have some medium, and you should have some long workouts where you hit threshold throughout the workout. And then same thing at intensities. Now, the higher up you go, short, medium, and long becomes a little bit subjective. But I believe in, in working much faster than race pace. I think you should work at your lactate threshold a good amount of the year, and you should also do faster than race pace to drive stimulus and to drive a change in your body. I think that if you were working at, let's say, mile pace, short intervals might be 200 meters, medium mm -hmm. might be 400, and long might be like 600. You know, but but I liked I, I believe in hitting short, medium, long at all paces that you're going to work at, and I believe that you must do some things. Just like lifting, where you have to lift extremely heavy, I think you should do some things extremely fast, but you use them like skill, where you are running maybe only 150 meters, 100 meters, 150, with a lot of rest in between, and it can be a preamble to a workout. But I think running significantly faster than you'll ever run in a race is a great way to increase your efficiency in a run economy. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And that, so I threw a lot of stuff in there, but I believe it all. But that means like filtering that in over a month, because you obviously can't filter in all those different types over a week, but just like looking at. But you even could, couldn't you? You you don't, you shouldn't, but you could. You could have two 30-minute runs, two 60-minute runs, and a 120-minute easy run in a week. Yeah. And you could hit a 30-minute tempo followed by six by or four by thousand at threshold. I guess you could squeeze it. I get what you're saying. Yeah, you could do multi-pace. Yeah, finishers. I don't think they mm -hmm. all have to be standalone work. You could mm -hmm. go out and do your five by mile and then do three by 150 afterwards. You know, suddenly you've touched upon multiple things. But I believe in touching all those, but the centering your work around lactate threshold. That's yep. what I believe in. Believe in that too. Absolutely. I would like to add one other thing to this component. And that is if you are a flat road runner, you are a trail runner, you are an OCR racer, you're a speed walker. I don't really care. Once a week, you need to be going up and down as your sole focus. Whether it's on an easy day or it's on a quality day, as far as hill work goes, like one day a week, you do not care about how far you're going. All you care about is how high up and down you've gone. I believe that has been a huge game changer to my flat running. We've preached this on this podcast before looking at your week and saying, okay, which day am I chasing vert? And again, for a flat road runner, even I will die on that, on this Island saying like, it makes you more powerful. It makes you more efficient on flat ground. And so wedging that in each week, I think is essential to being your best. And you're going to hit a hill. Yeah. And it could even be on a treadmill. I, to be honest, I don't even care if you're, if you're using the treadmill, but okay, we're back. 
well, I just got booted and we can't reconnect. And now I'm sitting here on a Bluetooth headset and it's going to sound worse. So my apologies. But if you made it this long, we're almost done. Yes, unacceptable, Bracken. We just spent a half an hour futzing with uh, trying to get back online. So this is the best we're going to do. It is. So as I was saying, even if you don't believe in the principle of uphill and downhill running will make you a faster runner, even if you want to discredit the 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 evidence that's out there, um, the fact that sprint coaches will use downhill intervals to improve top end speed of their athletes, even if we don't believe in that, the fact is you're going to encounter a hill in a race. And at that point, you will be glad you've done hill work because it doesn't matter how big the hill is. If you're trying to run it fast, it feels like a mountain. And if you've run actual hills or mountains prior, it's a giant feather in your cap that you get to drop on. Mm-hmm. Hill work is speed work in disguise, as they say, and hill work is strength work in disguise, as they say. So it's a lot of bang for your buck. Was that Frank Shorter who said that first? Somebody smarter than me, probably. Could have been Shorter. Could have been Shorter. I like that guy, Shorter. That's a guy I would like to hang out with, Shorter. Um, so as far as the running stuff goes, anything else come to mind that we haven't touched on? Minimum of five days a week, we feel like cardio stimulus, something intense every week and paired with a long run or an intense long run. Um, and then again, I added in the hill work once a week, just find that box to check. What are we missing? I think the final piece is the piece that we've driven home over the course of 160 some episodes. And that is that if you're running your hard days hard, your easy days must remain easy. got to check that box. Easy days are easy. Now, if you're not running hard on the other days, you can creep up that easy a little bit more towards moderate if you absolutely must. But we mm -hmm. obviously greatly prefer that all runners run quality days and then run easy in between. Yep, I agree. And that's, uh, you know, I never subscribed to the, uh, the heart rate monitor thing while running until the last three or four years. And it's the biggest tool on my recovery days more than anything is just keeping that thing in check. So you don't take away from the next big effort the following day. So I agree. So let's, so let's recap then. So we've got, I mean, maybe you should even think about writing this down if you're looking to formulate your own training plan or how you're, you know, managing your weeks, but what do we got? We got two boxes to check with mobility and recovery, right? Which would be, yeah. Two days a week, thorough stretching, um, plyos, things like that. You talked about ankle mobility and uh, strength, I believe, right? And hip. And hip, yep. We gave you some examples there. Then we talked about strength work, where we think two strength, big strength workouts a week that are purposeful. So that's four total boxes right now you got to check. And then core. And core is in there, correct, yep. And then we go to the running, which uh, which we say five minimum stimulus per week. Uh, and then try to find some vert, get a quality session in and look at a long run. So those are all the boxes that I think every, if you check all those boxes, you will be a successful runner. Yeah. You will be bare minimum 90% of the way there. Yeah. 90% of the way there is kind of a long ways there. If you ask oh, yeah. me, yeah. What percent of the way there are you right now, Bracken? Currently in this moment, 75 or 80% of the way there. What, what about you? about 80 right now since not going to West Virginia. And if you're at 80, then I'm at 60. Okay. 85. Okay. I'll say I'm 70% of the way there then. All right. Sweet. Um, that's the ingredients list right there. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the ingredient list. From there, you start playing around with intensities and specific types of workouts. But right now, if you are doing your prehab and your rehab, you're hitting your volume and your frequency, you're there. Mm-hmm. Bracken, you um, you ever going to put those t-shirts on sale? Duh. For the good people of the running public? Give us a week and I'm not in the woods and maybe we'll get it done, Kirk. <laughs> All right. We're doing a, we're doing a clean out of inventory on the running public shirts. Everything must go. So we're, uh, we're bringing those babies down from what? 25 bucks to 10 bucks. That's the plan. 10 bucks. There it is. You still have to pay for shipping. So that's just what it is, but 10 bucks, even if the shirt doesn't fit you that well, just buy the damn thing. Wear it to bed or something. Make it into a cutoff and a belly shirt like Bracken does with half of his. Um, now you have to put them on sale, Bracken. I just said it. Sale time, folks. Sale time. Yeah, and then when you buy our shirts, and then I don't have a closet full of them, then we'll order new styles and fun, cool ones and different ones. We got some ideas there too, but we need a few more to go, folks. And also, uh, somebody ordered a couple of shirts like a few weeks ago, and somehow that order got, um, let's say, fallen through the cracks. So if that is you, we got it out yesterday. So if you're waiting on your shipment, sorry about that. One fell through the cracks. You ordered two T-shirts. I won't say who you are, but your shirts aren't there yet. You probably know it. So they're on their way. That's it. There you go. Go shop that sale. Check your boxes. Become 90% of the way towards unstoppable. Boom. Boom.